The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. The Lions get screwed on Monday night because of officiating and because it's Green Bay. This has been the absolute Worst officiating I have ever seen in the NFL. The Browns choke against the Seahawks. What's to be expected? The Jackets get the job done and end a streak for the Hurricanes. While the Walleye is back on the ice... One game, one win. And 2-2, the Soul Train heads south. Michigan gets the job done against Lovey Smith. Michigan State chokes at Wisconsin. And Ohio State's on the bye. But for the first time in over nine years, After nine years, I can say it. BGSU beats Toledo. We're on the air as this is All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 54 runs in the span of the Shut out. Dumbino. Hip to a home run. Go. That's way back. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And finally, after much waiting and much happiness and much joy, I am proud to say to you guys, I love you guys. And welcome in to a special edition of All Andy Alfred, the recap of Rivalry Week, the finale, the overcoming excitement, nine years in the making. It has finally happened. It has finally happened. (laughs) After nine years, Bowling Green beats Toledo. And not just by a squeaker. No, 
utter domination from start to finish. BG and Grant Lloyd and the helm of the captor of Scott Leffler pounds Agani, Brian Kovac, and that Jason Candle. And the W gets raised high in Wood County as Toledo falls to Bowling Green 20-7. And welcome into a special edition of All Andy Alford right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you are listening, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast tonight. You can always, I say it, you can always be a part of the podcast by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. And on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. Welcome into this celebration. Welcome in to a special edition of All Andy Alfred. A lot to get into, folks. We'll recap this past weekend in the NFL, of course. The Lions being hosed by the officials. We'll also talk about the Browns. We'll also dive into the Jackets report. The Jackets getting a big win against Carolina. The Walleye on, on the ice getting their first win of the season in Brampton. We'll cover that as well. We'll also dive into uh, Andy Rance that I, 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 I'll get into much later in the podcast. But the, the main story today, of course, on this show is the fact that after nine years, and to all my WWE fans, I have to do this, after nine years, nine long years, Years. Finally, the trophy has come back to Bowling Green. Which means, finally, Bowling Green has a winning football team. Which means, finally, Bowling Green has the right man for the job. B-G-S-U, forward Falcons, forward Falcons, fight for victory. You don't know how much this win means to me. Going to Bowling Green for for a four-year term. Every year, we would play Toledo. And Toledo would just absolutely either destroy us, It'd be a close game at halftime, or three-fourths of the game would be close, and then Bowling Green would falter. You don't know how much this means to us here in, in, in the brown and orange. It means a lot to the players. It means a lot to the administrators. It means a lot to us, the alumni. It means a lot to the students. It, it means a lot to the community. This win is absolutely amazing. I was at the game. I was on national television. We'll get to that in, in a minute. But 
from start to finish, this game was controlled by Bowling Green. They played strong against Toledo, beating Toledo at their game. And Grant Lloyd is our true number one, in my opinion. Straight up number one. It's not an or anymore, folks. Lloyd's the number one. This kid is dominant. And he was a walk-on. A walk-on quarterback beats Toledo. Let's put this into perspective, folks. This is a major win. At the start of the game, Bowling Green was not favored in the game. Toledo was favored in the game by 27.5 points. The 27 and a half po- the 27 points was the cover of the game, but Bowling Green wins the game outright. BG utterly dominated this game. Utterly dominated this game. And from I, I'm just emo- I'm really emotional about this because you don't know how tormented, how much hatred I have had towards me as a Bowling Green fan to all you Toledo people that you know comment me and see and and tweet me and Facebook me and are friends of mine that are UT grads and they say, well, you know, you went to Bowling Green and blah 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 blah. You know, what has that ever got you? Blah blah blah. We still kick your butt every year of football. My mom and my dad went to UT. My mom and my dad went to UT. Okay. When I told them I was going to Bowling Green. Because they had a good journalism program, a good telecommunications program, they they just looked at me like I was like I had like I was an idiot, like I was gonna do, like I was gonna fail up for nothing. I this game means so much to me that they this rivalry game means so much to me. Year after year, I could say, I could finally say to people, you know, it doesn't matter how, what university you go to, University of Toledo, Bowling Green, you go to Tiffin, you go to Otterbein, you go to Owens, you go to any of the local colleges here, okay? Michigan, Ohio State, that's a rivalry. Michigan, Michigan State, that's a rivalry. Toledo and Bowling Green is a rivalry. Because we separate the, the communities by at least 20, mi- 20 minutes away. 30 miles from each other. The medium ground, of course, being Perrysburg. But having the hatred towards me being a Bowling Green fan in, 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 in the surrounding Toledo market just was, you know, it really hurts. It really hurts. And, you know, my dad would give it to me every year for the last nine years. Oh, you can't beat us. Blah, 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 blah. 
You can't keep up with this. Blah, 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 blah. This is the first time I could go up to him. I came in the, I came and saw him after the game. It was the first time ever that he was just disappointed. He looked at me. He, his head was in a blanket over his he, head. I came in carrying the BG flag, waved it in front of him. He says, the better team won. Congratulations. And it was the better team that won that game. And we're going to recap the full game for you right now, right here on All Andy Alfred. So let's recap it. All It started off Toledo winning the toss, getting the football to start the second half. They deferred it. Bowling Green started it off. Kalucky kicking it off. 59-yard kick. It was returned by Bryson Dentley for 28 yards. And offensive holding set back to Bowling Green's 24. But Grant Lloyd, I, I this kid is absolutely unbelievable. First play from possession, Lloyd runs the football for 56 yards all the way down to the Toledo 20. A couple plays later, of course, Lloyd can't get the couldn't get the job done. They settle for a field goal. It's three nothing BG. Toledo gets the football back. Toledo gets the football then. They drive it down the field. Kovac gets a couple runs. The big play was from Magani to McKinley Lewis for fifty yards to the Bowling Green four. Bowling Green, so first and goal. Bowling Green stops Kovac, and then on second and goal from the BG nine, Magani fumbles the football. BG recovers. Six plays, sixty-two yards for nothing for Toledo, and BG capitalized on it. Getting the football at the two from their own 11 yard line. Lloyd makes a deep pass to Bryson Dentley for 66 yards. It's 10 0 Bowling Green. BG kicks the football back to Toledo. Toledo goes 3 and out with a punt. BG gets the football back, 3 and out and punt. This is when the only points for Toledo happen. 315 to go into the first into the into the first quarter. Left to go in the first quarter. Nagani's pass to Bryson Mitchell for six yards. Lead starts it all off. Bowling Green gets caught for the off offsides. But the big play, Nagani to McKinley Lewis for six yards to the BG 45 sets up a first down. And then they give it to Shalif Seymour for a run. Three yards. The Bowling Green 32, the end of the first quarter, still 10-0. And then Nagani throws it to Kovac for a 14-yard touchdown. It was 7-10. Toledo gets the football back. After the, excuse me, after the touchdown, 
Bowling Green answers back, excuse me, with a touchdown. Lloyd runs it in for himself for 15 yards. It's 17 to 10 in favor of Bowling Green. And then the defenses showed up. The defenses showed up. A punt for Toledo for a three and out. A turnover and downs for Bowling Green. A punt. Interception. Lloyd was intercepted by Samuel Womack. But the key thing was Kalucky. Thomas Kalucky. On fourth and eight in the play previous before the interception. The punt was blocked by Bozeman. And that's when I got on national television. If you didn't see me on national television, I was jumping up and down, giving the fist bump. It was 17 to 10. At halftime. Bowling Green kicked a field goal of the third quarter. Made it 20-7, and that was it. They shut down Toledo. And i got to say this. Toledo played pretty good, but then Nagani got hurt. So Peters comes in. Peters comes in, cannot find his receivers, cannot get the play going right. Bowling Green. For the first time in nine years. In nine years, folks. It's over. Final play from possession. You heard it in the open. Toledo driving down the field. Peters. Was sacked by Carl Brooks for a loss of five yards. And then history was made. Holy Green, their sideline going absolutely nuts. Peter's going to heave one to the end zone. And it's intercepted. Intercepted by Bowling Green. The game is over. And the Falcons have won the battle of I-75, ending a nine-game losing streak. What a marquee win here at Bowling Green. Pass was intercepted by Bozeman in the end zone. And Bowling Green wins this battle of I-75 on the bragging rights for the next year. What a game. What a win for Bowling Green. And for the first time in nine years, Bowling Green beats Toledo 20-7. The recap looks like this. Nagani, 17 for 20, 193. He had the one touchdown of the game. Peters, 2 for 7, 33 yards. No touchdown, interception in the game. Kovac, 14 carries, 60 yards. No TDs in the game. Nagani ran the football eight times for 40 yards. No TDs in the game. Seymour, 10 carries for 29 yards. No TD in the game for Toledo. McKinley, three catches, 71 yards. 
Phillips, six catches, 65 yards. Rosie, three catches, 48 yards. Kovac, the one touchdown. He caught the ball four times for 41 yards. Nagani fumbling once. He lost the fumble. Uh, Jones losing, fumbling once. Peters fumbling once. Womack fumbling once as well. Uh, for Bowling Green in the game, Grant Lloyd, a gem of a ball game for this kid. 14 for 21, 185. He had the one interception, but the one touchdown. He also led in rushing. 19 carries, 137 yards, one TD in the game. Jones, 17 touches, 64 yards, no TDs in the game. Dentley, three catches, three run, three carries, 27 yards. Dentley was the leading rush uh, passer for Bowling Green. Six catches, 100 yards, one TD. Ortega Jones, two catches, 20, 32 yards. Quentin Morris, two catches, 27 yards. Marlowe, the third, one catch, 10 yards. Jones, uh, two catches, four yards in total for Bowling Green. Bozeman, one interception in the game. Womack had the one interception for eight yards. Bozeman, the interception at the end of the game, no returns. Dentley had two kick returns for 46 yards. Jones, two catches, 18 yards. Every kick Bowling Green had was at either the start of the drive for Toledo was either at their two or at their one-yard line. Bowling Green absolutely dominated this game from start to finish. Absolutely. The overall matchup looked like this. Toledo had 21 first downs to Bowling Green 17. On third down, Toledo was 5 for 16, Bowling Green 6 for 14. On fourth down, Toledo 2 for 5, Bowling Green 0 for 2, unfortunately. You'll hear Scott Leffler's comments here about in just a second about four, fourth down plays for the postgame comments. In total, with rushing and passing, Bowling Green had 425 yards of total offense, 185 through the air, 240 on the ground. For Toledo, they had 392 total yards of offense, 260 through the air, 312 on the ground. Both teams threw one interception on the game. Penalties killed Bowling Green, nine penalties, 74 yards. Toledo, two penalties for 10 yards. But the key thing was the turnovers. Bowling Green had one turnover, the interception, of course, but Toledo had two, one fumble, and one interception. Bowling Green led in time of possession. 30 minutes and 33 seconds. Toledo, 29 minutes and 27 seconds. So from start to finish, you look at the stats. You look at the information I just gave you. You look at the, you saw, you heard the recap. For the first time, on all Andy Alfred, in over nine years, Bowling Green beats Toledo. I just can't believe it. I really just can't believe it. And I'll give you my feelings on the game after the post-game comments from both Jason Candle and and Scott Luffler. I heard Jason's um, uh, pregame. We played it for you last week on All Andy Alford. He, to me, he did not sound like he wanted to. You know, this game didn't really mean matter to them. It sounded like it didn't really matter to them. You know, and maybe now it shows that, you know, with this win and this convincing win, this is not this, uh, oh, we lost by three points, we can, we'll can we just chalk it up. No, you were beaten 
by on every aspect of the game. The defense stood its ground. Bowling Green outplayed you from start to finish. You were beaten by a walk-on quarterback. You were beaten in Wood County. This rivalry is back on, folks. I heard earlier in the week from a reliable source that said that this game was going to be the players weren't talking as much about this game because they were they knew that they were going to slaughter Bowling Green. They got overhyped, overconfident, and look what happened. The boys in the midnight blue and gold, you got to listen to me right now. I know that you know, a loss is a loss. And this is also to the fans of the Midnight Blue and Gold. I know you were hoping that this would be the turn of the century game for you. To beat your rival 10 straight years in a row. But the rivalry is back on, folks. Doesn't matter how many times you've beaten us. This year, for 365 days until next year, when you guys play us, when we play you at the Glass Bowl, this game and this trophy belongs to the people of Wood County and the people that bleed brown and orange in this community. So now I'm going to play you the Jason Candle post game. You'll hear his comments on the game. And then you'll hear from the victorious coach of Bowling Green State University, Scott Leffler. BG, a big win against the University of Toledo. So here it is the post game comments from Jason Candle and Scott Leffler. Our guys answered the bell. We just didn't make any plays in the first half. We 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 killed ourselves. Did not field in kickoffs. Uh, blocked punt. You know, uh, missed assignments. Drops balls. Just things that you just you can't you can't overcome in a in a college football game. It doesn't matter who your opponent is. You you can't you can't overcome that when you have those many mistakes. And you know, um, so I think, I think that's where that's where it lies. To be honest with you. Did you think you guys were ready to play? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like. I think, you know, we're we we get the ball down inside the five yard line. We fumble an exchange. Um, you know, shows up. We haven't ha- hasn't happened. Wins a hard deal thing to deal with here. We don't feel to kick off. It happens again, and it's two different guys. Um, you know, I just think that you know a lot of our young players have to understand that when. The chips are on the line here. You're going to get everybody's best shot. You're going to get everybody's best shot in this game. A lot of guys played for the first time in this football game today. They got a they got a reawakening of what what it looks like. So there's only a couple guys in this program that have been in this situation before. I'm one of them. Being here in 2009, same situation, losing the same type of football game where it was very sloppy sloppy played game. Uh, the wind had an impact on the game, and um, you know same result. So, but uh, no. 
reason that I guess obviously respect every opponent, but you know, 18 to 20 year old kids, they're being told all week, this is going to be a slaughter, this is going to be a slaughter. You don't think that plays a role? Well, I mean, again, I would tell you this if, and I've told you this before on the other ends of this of wins is, there's, if there's a standard that you have set in your building and you have a standard that's set in your locker room, you, it's your job to make sure individually that you're held accountable and you uphold that. You know, whether you're a coach or whether you're a player, or whether no matter what that is, so you have to figure out what preparation looks like for the long haul. It's really easy to buy into momentum when you get it in college football. Uh, it happens all the time, all over college football. You try to guard against that every day. It, it's the biggest fear that you have is complacency. So you try to guard against that all the time. You try to pound that into young people's minds and young people's heads. I think our leadership of our football team is, is going to be tested right now. And I, I think that's a really cool thing. I really do. I, I want to see how our guys are going to respond because, again, in six days from now, we're going to have another football game and another team You know that's going to uh, – give us our, their best shot again. So, um, again, hats off to BG for playing a really spirited game um, and, and coming out with a win. Is this, I guess it's hard to say, is this the most stunning game you've ever been a part of, just in terms of how it played out? No. Some of the mental issues that start the game, do you feel like your kids maybe start to press and that builds up on you? You know, the last one that kind of snowballs a little bit? I don't think so. I mean, I... I you know, we had our opportunities. I mean, you know, we, we make the field goal right at the end of half. You go into half 17 to 10. You know, you you just, you know, we, get, we kick a field goal into the wind that we probably don't otherwise kick. Mitch doesn't get hurt on that play, you know. So I just, you know, you just, there's some breaks and some ebbs and flows of the football game that you got to, you got to weather the storm, and you can't press. You have to stay together. I thought today in the second half a little bit, we, we started to splinter a hair. Um, you know, I didn't see that in the Kentucky game so much, and I certainly didn't see that in any of our wins. So, um, you know, some things we got to address and we got to fix. But, you know, like I said, like I told our kids, you, you just got to be really, you know, the resolve of our team is, is going to be tested. We need each other more now than we have in our entire season, and I'm looking forward to see the bounce back. I don't on either one. What happened? We got hurt. You guys are generally really, really solid on special teams. Seems like today there were at least a half dozen pretty disastrous special teams plays. Well, the the operation of the punts is a little bit different. Not having Bailey in there, um, you know, you're asking a you're asking a rookie guy who's, who's in a tough situation to go in there, and you know, I think the shield kind of stepped up instead of stepping out, which he should have, and you know that you know credit that kid made a great play and, and got a block, um, game changing play, really. You know, statistically, really hard to overcome and win a football game when you give up a block punt. Really hard to do. You know, the two kickoffs, I mean, we, we start drives on the one-yard line twice. You know, uh, really success rate on 99-yard drives in, in college football, not a very high success rate, so very difficult to, to do that. So, um, yeah, big part of the game. It is, it's an equal phase. It's, it's been the catalyst for us to have great wins, and today it wasn't our best effort. So got to address it, got to fix it, and move on. Could you have anticipated something like this? I mean, seven days ago, you guys were flying as high as you can. You didn't anticipate that it crashes down that, this low so quickly? Seven days ago, we weren't flying high. We're flying consistently at a good pace. And uh, we may take a little dip today, but what I would expect from my football team is to come back tomorrow ready to work and ready to maintain and, and uphold the standard that they set for themselves. This is not a – this is not – that's for you guys to figure out. That's for that's for you to talk about 
how great we are when we win and how terrible we are when we lose. And that's 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 part of it, and I get that. Uh, but that's not what we've set out to do. That wasn't the message January 13th when we came back to work. It's not going to be the message in that locker room today. Uh, it's not the message in the, in the team meeting tomorrow. It's do your job and be really accountable to your teammates and do it at an elite level. What that looks like for some guys and their role, it's different from other to other guys. But we all have to embrace that. And like I said, we need each other now more than we ever have before. And it's going to be fun to see. I'm surprised by Loy and how he did. Did you guys prepare for that? I know it was neither or thing. Uh, start the question again. Grant Loy. Thought he played really good. You know, um, looks like his football team rallied around him today. You know, um, you know that that's a a proud upper-class group of guys that, you know, I think probably found a guy that they could rally around and, and really go to battle for. Um, you could see that right from the jump. Quarterback run game, uh, being able to add an extra spark, you know, gave that offensive line some confidence. You could see that kind of building. Um, but as many of the plays they made in the first half, credit our defense, they hung in there and they kept fighting. You know, it's a, it's still a, it's still a winnable game in the fourth quarter. It's not like, you know, you uh, we just didn't. We just didn't hold the end, our end of the bargain on offense. Didn't score any points. Um, you know, so credit their defense for getting stops when it mattered. How confident are you that, like you mentioned, quick turnaround? How confident are you that this won't linger into next week? We can't change it. It's over. You know, we can't change what happened today. And you know, I think you guys have been around me long enough to know that I would be telling you the same thing that. You know, after we beat BYU, well, we're going to play Western next week. You know, we, this is done. We have to do a great job of addressing the videotape and seeing what's, what the brutal truths are. Uh, that's hard. You know, but we got to tell ourselves the truth. We always do. And we're not going to hide from any of it. We're going to own it. We're going to fix it. And we're going to move on. I'm going to trust our staff. I'm going to trust our leadership of our football team. And we're going to get back to work and, and get moving and uh, get a plan together to go down and play well at Ball State. To be a part of some ridiculous rivalry games, and uh, um, they're all special. I can remember every single one of them. Um, this might be uh, one of our favorite wins that we've had as a staff and as a team. And uh, it was good to. Uh, I said to our team in there, and I thought it was the most important thing that occurred today. Is you've heard me talk about playing with emotion, playing tough. It has to occur in practice. Well, we saw it today for the first time. And uh, so now we have no excuses. So when we go to a Tuesday practice, that's the intensity that we need to bring to improve our team and get our program where it needs to be. Um, Jason Candle and the Toledo program, they are first class. They do things the right way. That's a hell of a football team. And uh, today we were just, we were better today. That was the moral of the story. But that is a great football pre uh, program. He's a great coach. Um, but the most positive thing besides winning the game that came about today is that uh, our kids got to see the emotion, the toughness, the intensity, how hard you got to play every single play. And now they have no excuses uh, to do anything less on a Tuesday practice. Scott, I asked you on Wednesday if you thought realistically that a turning point was going to happen at some point this year. You said you hope so. Did you think this was possible, though? It's a rivalry game. Anything's possible. I've been on both sides of that where you're 17-point favorites and you lose. Um, it's a rivalry game. Everything's out the window. 
I'm super happy for uh, the Bowling Green community. I'm super happy for our administration who is kicking butt. I can't uh, tell you how happy I am for all the professors and teachers on this campus, but most importantly, I'm happy for these kids and our staff. These kids over the last five years have been through hell, and uh, they got to taste what, uh, what it's supposed to be uh, on, the, on the winning side, so I'm really, really happy for them. How can this win change the trajectory of your season going forward? We're going to watch the tape, and uh, we're going to see the positives and negatives that we did. We're going to try to get as uh, most improved that we possibly can on Monday. And uh, just like anything else, whenever you lose a game, win a game, um, we've got some time to celebrate. We've got 24 hours, and then uh, we're back to business as usual. How much of that emotion and spark came from your other class and obviously you had so many juniors and seniors, especially the seniors on both sides of the ball, make so many big plays, especially for a team that starts so many freshmen? Yeah, it was great. Um, just like I said, very similar to the intensity and all that. It's the first time um, since I've been here that I saw some leadership. And uh, it always takes an event. Um, the, the, the problem that we're at right now is that uh, uh, there's a bunch of players that uh, have not seen it. And it's a bunch of coaches saying how it's supposed to be, and that's hard. Uh, whenever, you, whenever you're trying to change a program, you got to get a group of guys that make a decision that we're going to really play hard and we're going to do things the right way and we're going to lead. And, you know, we're hoping that after this game that uh, we can get a group of people together and this is our way of business uh, Monday through Friday. And that's what we want to get from this. You know, it's a great win. I love it. I'm excited for our team and the community. But the biggest thing that we took from today is intensity, how you do business, the importance of every single play, leadership, and now we have no excuses. We, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do this Monday through Friday, and that's how you improve as a football team. So what were the emotions for you as the, the clock's ticking down and those guys come at you with the power rate rulers? What was, what was that experience like for you? You know, um, elated. For, I was just so happy for them. Um, just like I said, uh, I've been a part of big games and all that other stuff, and uh, I haven't been here long enough. Van Wright's been here long enough. Uh, Bob's been here long enough. I haven't been here long enough. To, uh, um, it's, it's all about for our community and our university and the administration, the, van, the vans of the world. That's what I was excited about, and mostly our players and our staff. So um, elated for them, elated for the community, elated for our administration, elated for Van Wrights of the world who, who've been here. You know, I, I haven't earned that right to, uh, I've only been here 10 months, you know, so. Kano, Jack, Jamari, Nico, the guys that, that stuck it out here, what do you think it meant to them and what did it mean to you to see them have this day? They left a legacy, plain and simple. Uh, we haven't had that trophy in nine years, and uh, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, when they have uh, beautiful kids running around, a great wife, they've got great jobs, uh, they're going to be able to uh, get together, and they will never forget this moment. And uh, that's what college football is all about, those special moments, those bonds, those unities, the brotherhood. And uh, they have something that they can walk out the door with that, no one could ever take away from them. So I'm super happy for all of them. That line seemed to be overwhelming the Toledo offensive line. It was wow. awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. 240 yards of rushing. Um, Coach Malone is a special guy, as we all know. Um, 
our, 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 our staff is a bunch of special people. Um, the, the, the weight room, Kevin Tolbert, I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on and on about the people that are in this building. So it's all about them. They're the reason why we got to where we needed to be today. But we have got a long way to go. I mean, we have it, but uh, hopefully uh, that the passion, energy, intensity, leadership, all the things that occurred today now can start happening Monday through Friday. When you woke up this morning, did you think not only would you be on the winning side of this, but in that fashion, 20 to 7? Uh, I think every morning that you wake up on Saturday, you better try to think that you're going to win. So, yeah. What did Grant White's performance say about him today? He's a tough guy, you know, and... Uh, I love Grant. Uh, where he's come from, uh, Brian Van Gorder made the comment in there, if you would have watched where we were at in spring football on both sides, I mean, we couldn't get in a football position. Uh, where those kids have come, um, even if we would have lost this game, we are making headways. We're on track. There's a ton that we've got to do. Uh, we got to lock arms. The BG people have got to lock arms. we got to recruit really well. And uh, we got to get this back too that uh, you know we're we're chasing after trophies rather than just competing so we got a long way to go um, this is a stepping stone there's no question about it there's belief now um, but at the end of the day we've got a long way to go and we're going to work our tail off to get to where we want to be as a staff as an administration and uh, we're going to get there you, you mentioned how you think it happened a lot of the game but obviously sometimes it could be a play here a play there a fluke. how rewarding is it just I don't know if we outplayed them in every area. I mean, we played a good football game, and there was mistakes on both sides. We missed uh, that the first uh, fourth and one call. I was swearing up and down the field. I should have called a play action pass. I mean, it was a. I mean, we got stuffed on the power play. I was never so angry at myself. And then we we missed an opportunity uh, on a fourth and two. Uh, uh, you could have punted the ball to the end zone for a touchdown, and they're gonna. And they had the same thing on their side. You know what you what you try to do in those big games is, you normally get four or five opportunities to make plays, and uh, we were fortunate that we just made a few more than they did today. You guys set the tone early today. Obviously, it was a rivalry game, so you already gonna be up. But where did that emotion, where did that spark come from for you guys to kind of come out early? Last night. You know, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that we make uh, this game important, and we're going to even emphasize it even more because uh, I've got to our staff, and we've got to taste what this game is. It's an awesome game. And uh, that game on both sides should always be important. But uh, last night was different. Um, it would, I don't know what it was. The, we always have kids speak and coaches speak and give testimonies. And... Uh, just like, for, like I said, for the first time since I've been here, it felt right. It felt right. And uh, we need uh, now we have no excuse now. We, felt, we, we tasted it. We got, a, we got an idea how it is. Now we got to go do it day in and day out. Those, uh, those New England teams, the Alabamas of the world, the Ohio States, Michigans, all those people, it is a day in, day out that you're playing your rival. That's how you practice. That's how you win. And uh, that's where we need to go. Does a win like this make your job easier or harder moving forward? Uh, I'm just going to enjoy the night and <laughs> watch the tape tomorrow and then get ready to try to help our program get better. So you just heard Scott Leffler 
and Jason Candle. The post-game from the BGSU victory over the University of Toledo. I tell you, I am just absolutely still ecstatic as ever. And um, I was at the attendance. At the end of the game, we stormed the field. I was on the field. We have, we'll have some of the photos posted on our Facebook page from the game. Um, we also had a tailgate before the game. We'll get to all, all that in the Andy Brands here in just a second. But I tell you, I got to meet Scott Leffler after the game. He gave me a hug. I told him, congratulations, coach. Um, I wish I would have had some audio for you guys for it, but uh, it's just absolutely fantastic to meet the guy, to see the joy in this guy's face, to to feel the victory through him. And it being the 100th anniversary of BGSU football during the 150th year of college football in general, it's just it's absolutely outstanding. It really is. Um, it, it's hard to put into words, but Bowling Green beats Toledo. So for the first time in nine years, I don't have to sing the University of Toledo fight song on this podcast for you. Instead, you're going to hear me sing Forward Falcons. You're going to hear me sing I, Ziggy, Zumba. You're going to hear me sing a good song, a good fight song tonight, right now. So here we go. Oh, yeah. Forward Falcons, forward Falcons, fight for victory. So our spirit, lake them, fear it, fight for Boyer BG. Forward Falcons, forward Falcons, make the contest keen. Hold up the fame for our mighty name and win for Bowling Green. Ready? I Ziggy Zumba Zumba, I Ziggy Zumba Zay, I Ziggy Zumba Zumba, I Ziggy Zumba Zumba Zay. Roll along, BG Warriors! Roll along and fight for PGSU! Isaac Zumba Zumba Zumba, Isaac Zumba Zumba Zay, Isaac Zumba Zumba Zumba, Isaac Zumba Zumba Zay! Roll along, BG Warriors! Roll along and fight for PGSU! Oh yes! Oh yes! I don't have to sing the Toledo fight song. I finally got to sing my fight song after nine years on this podcast. As you are listening to all Andy Elford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's going to be a long show. We are already long already. Because of the BG Toledo coverage. But of course let's dive into the rest of the college football spectrum from this past weekend. So there were other games of course in college football this past weekend. Other than Bowling Green beating Toledo 20-7. to So let's recap it for you. Week 7 of the college football spectrum looked like this. As Miami Pulls an upset victory over Virginia by a score of 17-9. Oregon, a 45-3 win over Colorado. By the way, Virginia was 20th ranked in the country for that one. 
The major upset that took place this past weekend, number three, Georgia goes down to the Gamecocks of South Carolina in double overtime. They beat the Bulldogs in the hedges by a score of 20-17. to So Georgia falling hard in that game. They fell hard in the rankings. The Red River shootout was a not that much of a shootout in some aspects. Oklahoma, a 34-27 win over Texas. Temple was a winner, 30-28 over 23rd-ranked Memphis. An upset right there. The number one Alabama Crimson Tide, Rotime, Bama, cruises over Texas A&M by a score of 47-28. Clemson, a 45-14 win over Florida State. It was Arizona State, a winner, 38-34 over Old Crimson in uh, Washington State. Cincinnati, 25th ranked in the country, gets the win. The Bearcats and Tyrion Brands. Bearcats, a 38-23 win over Houston. Baylor, in double overtime, beats the Red Raiders. Touchdown, Red Raiders. Texas Tech, 33-30. It was Pence, It was Louisville, a 62-59 win, upsetting Wake Forest. That is a high-scoring game, to say the least, in the ACC. The nightcap, LSU, a win 42-28 over the Florida Gators. Utah, 15th ranked in the country, pound the Beavers of Oregon State, 52-7. Boise State, a win, 59-37. Some of the Big Ten scores from this past weekend. In week seven of this, the college football season looked like this. Ohio State was on the bye, but Rutgers loses to Indiana by a score of 35-0. Purdue beats Maryland 40-14. It was Nebraska falling to the Golden Gophers of Minnesota at 34-7. Wisconsin, 8th ranked in the country, pound the Michigan State Spartans by a score of 38-0. That was a beatdown. The Saturday night game on, on ABC was Penn State traveling to Iowa to take on the Hawkeyes and Penn State getting a win by the closest margin, 17-12 over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Michigan goes into Illinois to play Lovey Smith and the Fighting Illini and destroy the Illini. They hold off a late surge late in the game, though. I will say this, the Illini made a good run at the end of the game, but overall... The Wolverines getting the job done with a 42-25 win overall. Uh, looking at the stats, P, uh, uh, Patterson, 11 for 22, 194 total yards, three TDs, no interception in the game. Haskins, 12 carries for 125 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Charbonnet, 18 carries. 116, one TD in the game. Wilson had 10 carries for 46 yards. Bell had three catches for 98 yards. Donovan Peoples-Jones, three catches, 36 yards, one TD in the game. Shoemaker, one catch, 25 yards, one TD in the game. Newbanks, two catches, 14 yards, one TD in the game. Robinson for Illinois was 16 for 25 for 192 yards, one TD in the game. Brown, eight carries, 39 yards, one TD in the game. Stampley, Four catches, 28 yards, no TDs in the game. Irobora, five catches, 102 yards, one TD in the game for the Fighting Illini. The overall stats look like this. Michigan had 25 first downs to Illinois, 17. On third down, Michigan was 4 for 10. Illinois, 3 for 13. Both teams, 1 for 2 on fourth down. 
Michigan had 489 total yards of offense, 194 through the air, 295 on the ground. For the Illini, it was 256 total yards, 192 through the air, 64 yards rushing on the ground. Penalties killed the Illini, 10 penalties, 95 yards. It was 7 penalties, 54 yards for the for the Mays and Blue. Two turnovers for both teams in the game, two fumbles for for the for Michigan and Illinois. And Michigan did not follow the possession. It was towards the Illini, 30 minutes and 13 seconds to 29 minutes and 47 seconds. So Michigan uh, went 42 to 42 to 25 over the Illini. Let's take a look at the big t- uh, look at the rest of rest of the Mid American Conference schedule. Looked like this in Week Seven. Besides Bowling Green beating Toledo 20 to seven, because I will keep talking about that for the rest of the season. Western Michigan was a winner 38-16 over Miami of Ohio. Ball State, who Toledo will be playing this upcoming weekend, beats Eastern Michigan by a score of 29-23. Central Michigan, who welcome who will be welcoming into Doit L. Perry Stadium this upcoming Saturday, took on New Mexico State University and beat the Lobos 42-28. Kent State, a 26-3 win over Akron. And NIU beats Ohio by a score of 39 to 36. One other game I'd like to mention, of course, from last week would be the other big rivalry game, and that is USC traveling across country to take on the Notre Dame University. And this game was a close game at the towards the end. Notre Dame got lucky towards the end of this game. This game could have gone into overtime. But the Irish getting a 30-27 win over the Trojans. As you look at the, uh, the recap for this game, Ian Book, 17 for 32, 165, 1 TD in the game for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Jones Jr., a great game for him. 25 carries, 176 yards, no TDs in the game. Carried the ball 12 times for 49 yards, 1 TD. Bensley, 1 carry, 54 yards, 1 TD in the game. Kemet, excuse me, Kemet, 6 catches, 61 yards, the 1 TD in the game. Claypool, 3 catches, 47 yards. For USC, Slovis was the their, their quarterback. He was 24 for 35, 255, 2 TDs in the game, no interceptions. Step. 10 carries, 82 yards, 1 TD in the game. For USA, St. Brown, 8 care, eight catches, 112 yards, 1 TD in the game. Vaughn's 4 catches, 47 yards, 1 TD in the game. The overall team stats and overall box score looks like this. Notre Dame had 25 first downs to USC's also 25 first downs. On third down, Notre Dame was 9 for 17, USC 5 for 12. Notre Dame was 0 for 1 on fourth down convergence. Notre Dame had 473 total yards of offense, 165 through the air, 308 total yards on the ground. USC had 426 total yards, 255 through the air, 171 on the ground. Five penalties, 45 yards for the Irish in the game. Two penalties, 20 yards for USC in the game. Both teams did not turn over the football, but the Irish led in possession 31 minutes and 24 seconds to 28 36. So, with that all in mind, of course, let's take a look at the top 25 going into this week, week 8 
of the college football season. And a little bit of a shakeup in the top spectrum with Georgia losing the third ranking. Here's what the top 25 looks like. Number one is still the Alabama Crimson Tide at 6-0. Number two is LSU at 6-0. They move up three spots. Clemson falls down a spot. They go down to third. Ohio State with their bye goes to fourth. They fall down a spot as well too. Oklahoma moves up one spot. They're now at number five. Wisconsin's at six. Penn State moves up three spots to number seven. Notre Dame goes to eight. They move up one spot. Florida with their loss to LSU falls down to nine. Georgia, a big drop, seven places to 10th. Auburn now is 11th. Uh, Oregon is 12th. Utah is 13th. Boise State 14th. Texas is now 15th right to the country. Michigan with their win now is 5-1. They stay at 16th. 17th ranked is Arizona State. They move up one spot. Baylor moves up four spots to 18th. SMU fall, ranks up to 19th. They're 6-0. Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, and P.J. Fluck are now 6-0. They moved to 20th. They weren't ranked last week. As Cincinnati, the Bearcats go to 5-1. They are now 21st ranked in the country, moving up four spots. Missouri is now 22nd ranked in the country. Uh, Iowa now goes up to 23rd. They fall six spots. 24th is now Appalachian State. And 25th is the was, was, excuse me, the Washington Huskies. So big games going forward this week. Of course, Friday night it is Ohio State. They travel to Chicago in Livingston to take on Northwestern. 8.30 kickoff on FS1. We'll preview that one right here on All Andy Elford with a special Falcon Friday edition. We will be back on the air for Falcon Friday. We didn't get a chance to do one this past Friday because we were getting ready for the big tailgate, which we'll get to here in just a second and how it turned out for you guys. But we will be back on the air for this upcoming Friday for a special Falcon Friday to preview Bowling Green versus Central Michigan as well as the rest of the college football and NFL schedule. And speaking of the NFL, before we get to the NFL, you're listening to All NBL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. And now let's dive into the NFL. And the Lions get screwed in Lambeau. We absolutely got screwed in Lambeau on Monday night. Absolutely from start to finish got screwed. And we played, the Lions played the best game I have ever seen in the last two years with Matt Patricia at the helm. This was a consistent team effort. They were manipulative and they were honestly clear-cut wanting to win this game. And they came out and they fired on all cylinders. Pounding Green Bay. Getting out to a 10-0 lead. And then it was just all field goals. And you can't kick... I have to say this. The officiating, we'll get to that in just a second. But if you're playing Green Bay, you've got to put seven points on the board. No matter what the situation is. You have to go touchdown to touchdown with Aaron Rodgers. 
You cannot give them a chance to come back in the ballgame. You certainly cannot. You cannot get let them have a touchdown. You have to get seven points. You cannot keep kicking field goals. It is not a field goal game against Aaron Rodgers. He is manipulative. I know I'm butchering the word, but he is pinpoint in passing. He can find the receivers, but the receivers can't find him. And that's what happened last night. Many chances of them blowing the game open and winning the game, and they couldn't find Rodgers. And the Lions couldn't turn, couldn't capitalize on it. Absolutely couldn't capitalize on it. And the problem I have with that is that we've had chance after chance to put seven points on the board. We have to end up with three. So not only am I blaming the officials, and we'll get to that in just a second. I know you all want to hear my opinion about that. But I blame a little bit of it on the team because we have to score seven points. It can't be just three points against Green Bay. It really can't. And Stafford really stepped up to the plate. He was 18 for 32 for 265 in this game. But again, we shot ourselves by kicking field goals instead of touchdowns. Now, the officiating. The NFL has to look into this officiating. We cannot have part-timers anymore. I'm sorry. You're either a full-time official or you're not. This is ridiculous. Absolute blown calls. Worst calls I have ever seen. How is it that a guy gets flagged twice for illegal hands to the face when the guy isn't even hitting his face. He's hitting his chest. He's holding on to his chest. Now, I could see it being a holding penalty, but illegal hands to the face. Not once, but twice. How is that a penalty? The guy sold it so perfectly. It's unbelievable. We have a we're reviewing pass interference calls and we're reviewing plays, you know, that are key. Why don't the officials get together and ask, is it really, you know, if if New York wants to buzz in on it, let it buzz in on it. Takes the flat, and it was every third down. It was every third down. It was every third down play that Green Bay had. That they get the penalty for it. Which gives them the automatic first down. Which gives them the opportunity to win. And I love Booger McFarlane now. I was never a fan of his, but I love him. Because... Absolutely, the he had absolutely every right to comment and, and to bash the officials on that. Because they failed. This is a failed attempt. An absolute failed attempt of calling a clean game. 
and was clean through the first quarter. No penalties. In an offsides call, of course. But stat wise, eight penalties for fifty yards for the for for the for the Lions. Six penalties, forty eight yards for Green Bay. And their key plays. And I'm gonna say this too. I know I'm gonna cr- criticized for this, but that penalty that caused that was an unnecessary roughness penalty for 15 yards was a stupid penalty. The guy was going for the interception. The ball was low. He didn't think the wide receiver was gonna make the catch. He had the play set up for the interception. The guy did not turn to take a look and see the see the Lions defender right there. And he gets flagged for 15 yards for a personal foul for an quote-unquote unnecessary roughness? Give me a break. Roger Goodell should be ashamed of himself. The officiating crew, and I have a father who has been in the OHSAA, who even told me that this game yesterday, the Lions got screwed because of officiating. And he's a Browns fan, and he's agreeing with me that officiating is really bad this year in the NFL. There was a stat that came out the other day that last year, an average game drew 15.4 penalties per game. 15.4 is what the average is in the NFL for the season. This year, it's now 19.6. This is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But Mason Crosby kicks the game-winning field goal. And the Lions get screwed not only because Green Bay is in bed with the officials. I mean, the officials screwed Detroit. But now the division is basically in Green Bay's hands. It really is. Crosby, the game-winning field goal. The overall stats look like this. Stafford, 18 for 32, 265. And great play play awareness by him. First play from possession, a flea flicker. Great play. Kenny Galladay, an outstanding player from North, formerly from Northern Illinois. Five catches, 121 yards, no TDs in the game. Johnson, 13 carries for 34 yards, one TD in the game. Rodgers, 24 for 39, 283, two TDs, one interception in the game. Williams, 14 carries, 104 yards in total, no TDs in the game. Uh, Lazard, four catches, 65 yards, one TD in the game. Williams, four catches, 32 yards, one TD in the game. The overall stats look like this. For, For the Lions, they had 13 first downs to Green Bay's 22. On third down, the... Lions were 3 for 13, Green Bay 4 for 12. The Lions were a perfect 1 for 1 on fourth down. Uh, Lions had 299 total yards of offense, Green Bay 447, 243 for the air for the Lions, 56 on the ground for the Packers of the 447, 277 of that was through the air, 170 of it on the ground. Again, I say it, penalties, 8 penalties, 50 yards. For the Lions, six penalties, 48 yards for the Packers. And, you know, 
the turnovers for Green Bay, they should the Lions should have capitalized with these. Three turnovers in the game for Green Bay, two fumbles, one interception. The Packers led in time of possession at 33 minutes and 4 seconds. Detroit 26 minutes and 56 seconds in time of possession. So the Lions fall in Green Bay. They now go to 2-2 two, two and 1. They are now in second still in second position in the division overall. But again, the Lions got screwed by the NFL and because of Green Bay. As you're listening to all ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, let's talk a little bit about the Browns. The Browns welcomed in Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks into First Energy Stadium. And I got a chance to watch this game from pretty much from start to finish. And the Browns started off pretty well. Nick Chubb, a fantastic game for him. He ran the football 20 times for 122 yards. I, I'm telling you, this kid is absolutely fantastic. I said it for you. I said it for ever. He's the best. And he started off the scoring with a 7-0 lead. Russell Wilson then scoring a 16-yard touchdown run, meaning at 7-6, the extra point did not go through. Baker Mayfield with a 10-yard run makes it 14-6 in favor of the Browns after the first quarter. The Browns then scoring another touchdown. Ricky Seals-Jones' 31-yard touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield made it 20-6. And then the Seahawks turned it on. Two field goals and a touchdown before the end of the first half making it 18-20. to 20. In the third quarter, Jared Brown's six-yard pass from Russell Wilson made it 25-20 to 20 in favor of the Seahawks. Nick Chubb, a three-yard run, gives the Browns the lead 20, with the lead 28-25, but a nine-play, 79-yard run with three, in, with three minutes and 30 seconds to go in the game kills the Browns. The Browns lose to Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, 32-28. to The overall stats look like this in the game. Wilson, 23 for 33, 295, two TDs, no interceptions in the game. Carlson, 24 carries for 124 yards, one TD in the game. Wilson had nine carries for 31 yards, one TD as well. Lockett, five catches, 75 yards. Metcalf, four catches, 69 yards. Moore, three catches, 36 yards. Baker Mayfield, a good game. His QBR rating of 72.3. He was 22 for 37, 249. One touchdown. He threw three interceptions in the game. You can't have that. You really can't. But I said it, Nick Chubb, again, a breakout player. This guy is an absolute stud as a running back. 20 carries, 122 yards, two TDs in the game. Baker Mayfield, four catches, 35 yards, one TD in the game. OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., six catches, 101 yards, no TD in the game. Ryle Seals-Jones, three catches, 47 yards, one TD in the game. Javaris Landry, three catches, 36 yards. Anthony Callaway, two catches, 22 yards in the game for the Browns. The overall stats look like this. The Browns had 21 first down plays to the Seahawks, 29. On third down, the Seahawks were 6 for 13. The Browns, 3 for 8. The Browns were 2 for 3 on fourth down conversions. Seattle did not go for any fourth down conversions. The Browns had 406 total yards of offense, 249 through the air, 157 on the ground. For the Seahawks, they have 454 total yards of offense, 284 through the air, 170 on the ground. Seattle had 10 penalties for 65 yards. The Browns, 9 penalties 
283 yards in the game. The Browns turned over the football four times in the game. That's The Browns have got to fix that. They really do. Baker Mayfield has got to fix the whole reading his plays. Three interceptions, one fumble. And one fumble for Seattle. Seattle led in the time of possession 33 minutes and 41 seconds. The Browns, 26-19. So the Browns now head to a bye at 2-4 and four after six weeks of playing in the NFL. The Seahawks now improve to 5-1. and one. As you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, and that is with either iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And now let's recap the full week of Week 6 of the NFL Slate. So the rest of Week 6 looks like this. It was the G-Men traveling up to Foxborough on Thursday Night Football to battle Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. New England smoking the G-Men 35-14. Carolina gets a 37-26 win in Tuntum over Russell uh, Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Houston a 31-24 win beating Patrick Mahomes. In the Kansas City Chiefs, it was the Washington Football Club getting the win over the Miami Dolphins, 17-16. It was Kirk Cousins, a win, beating the Philadelphia Eagles, 38-20. New Orleans, a winner, 13-6 over Jacksonville. Baltimore, a 23-17 win over the Cincinnati Bungles. The Bungles have not yet won a game. San Francisco beating up on the Rams, 20 to 7. Rams are in trouble and they got some big news and we'll get to that here in just a second. Arizona a winner getting their first win of the season beating Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. My Falcons look pretty terrible right now. I don't think they're going to make the Super Bowl as they lose to the Cardinals 34 to 33. Denver shutting out Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans by a score of 16 to nothing. It was the J E-T-S, Jets, Jets beating the boys, 24-22. to A weird way to end the game. So many penalties towards the end of the game, giving Dallas the chance to win, and they just, they get it done. They get a touchdown, but they couldn't get the job done as the Jets beat the boys, 24-22. to Pittsburgh a win, 24-17 to over the Chargers of L.A., uh, so we get into week seven of the slate, and it is a good one. Uh, Thursday night game sees Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs 4-2 and two overall head into Mile High to battle uh, Joe Flacco and the Denver Broncos. 8-20 kickoff for that one. Kansas City a favorite. Three points in the game. I will take Kansas City in that game. A full slate of games going forward this upcoming Sunday to make note, of course, a few games to make note of as well. Uh the Lions at home, they'll take on the Minnesota Vikings. It's a good divisional game for them. Uh, you'll ha- also have uh, the Bears hosting New Orleans. 425 kickoff for that one. The Sunday night game is in Big D as Dallas welcomes in Philadelphia. The Monday night game next week sees New England going into the Meadowlands to take on the Jets. Uh, other game I also wanted to make mention as well. To Oakland, travels to Green Bay to take on 
the Packers. As you are listening to All ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And now it's time to hit the ice to talk about the walleye, and it's time for the Jacket Report. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. So it is time for the Jackets Report, the Jackets in the full swing of things as we are now into three three weeks into the NHL season. The Jackets doing pretty well at 2-3-0 overall, but let's recap the weekend that was for them. They had two games over the weekend as they took on the Anaheim Ducks on Friday night at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. Unfortunately, the Ducks getting the better of the Jackets as they fall 2-1 to to the Jackets. It was uh, Soffenberg getting the starting scoring for the Ducks, his second of the season from Rankle in Lindholm, making it one nothing Anaheim at the 12:59 mark of the second period on the shorthanded goal. It was also Cam Fowler getting his second of the season at the 14:56 mark of the second period, beating Jonas Corposalo as the Jackets were down two to nothing before Pierre Luc Dubois, his first of the season, with. The assist coming from Seth Jones. It was 2-1 Anaheim after 20 minutes of play. And that was what the final was. The Jackets fall to the Ducks at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard by a score of 2-1. The three stars of the game, Cam Fowler was the number one star. Solberg was the number two star. And Pierre-Luc Dubois was the number three star. Shots on goal in the game. The Jackets had 27 shots on goal to Anaheim. is 23. On the faceoff dot. Columbus was 44% to Anaheim's 56%. Both teams 0 for on the power play. Columbus 0 for 3. Anaheim 0 for 1. Uh, Columbus was out hitting the game by the Ducks 28 to 16. 15, 15 in each in blocks. The Jackets had 12 giveaways to Anaheim's 8 in the game. Looking at the overall stats for Anaheim in net, it was Ryan Miller, the former. Michigan State standout, the former Buffalo Sabre, and Mr. Captain America goaltender. He stopped 26 of 27, his save percentage of a point. Uh, a point. Point nine, six three. For the Jackets in the game, it was Jonas Corposalo stopping 21 of 23, his save percentage a point nine one three. So the Jackets fall to the Anaheim Ducks. They then went on the road to take on an undefeated Carolina Hurricane squad who was the runner-up in the Eastern Conference Final. And they get the job done beating the Hurricanes by a score of 3-2. It all started with Marcus Nudavara getting his first goal of the season from Ryan Murray and Alexander Wenberg on a deflected shot. It was 1-0 CBJ. And then Eric Hurla, his fifth of the season from the former Jacket. Ryan Dezingle, his third assist. And Nikas, his third assist as well, too. It was tied at one after 20 minutes of play. Dougie Hamilton started the scoring in the second period for the Hurricanes, making it 2-1 in favor of Carolina on a slap shot that beat 
goaltender Elvis Corinda, uh, excuse me, Jonas Corposalo. Excuse me, Jonas Corposalo was the starter for that game. And it was 2-1 in favor of Carolina before Oliver Bjorkstrand getting his second goal of the season from Ryan Murray and Alexander Wember tying it at 2 at the 3.08 mark left to play in the second period. It was a wrist shot. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois backhanded on a breakaway, beating the Hurricanes goaltender and James Reimer from Gustav Nyquist. 3-2 Jackets, and that was the final. A minute 15 to go, in, minute 15 into the third period. The Jackets hold on for a 3-2 win and give the Hurricanes their first loss this season. In this, the 2019-2020 campaign. Dubois, the number one star. Hamilton, the number two star. Ryan Murray, the number three star. Shots on goal in the game favored the Jackets as they had 35 shots on net to Carolina's 32 Carolina had 54 were 54% on the faceoff dot to Columbus's 46%. Both teams 0 for 3 on the power play. The Jackets were out hitting the game 29 to 26, 11 blocks to 10 blocks in favor of the Jackets. The Jackets Jonas Corposello making a back-to-back start. He stopped 30 of 32, his save percentage of 0.938. For James Reimer, he stopped 32 of 35, his save percentage of 0.914. The Jackets Getting a split on the weekend series. Of course, coming off of the win against Buffalo on Monday night last week. They now come back home to Nationwide Arena tomorrow night. 7 o'clock puck drop as they take on the Dallas Stars before a day off Thursday. And then they head to the Madhouse on Madison as they take on the Chicago Blackhawks before returning home to take on the New York Islanders. We will preview the Jackets-Blackhawks game on Friday's edition of All Andy Elford as well as the big matchup, a return matchup, as they head to north of the border to take on Austin Matthews and the Toronto Maple Leafs on Monday night. We'll have the recaps for you from the the Hawks, the Islanders, and the Leafs game on Tuesday's, next Tuesday's edition of All Andy Offers. Some news and notes from the Jackets, of course. Uh, nothing really big news to pass along to you. Um, to pass along to you, uh, the, the the key thing to look out for for the Jackets going forward is how are how is the defense gonna you know how how is the defense gonna get better? I mean, after you get Warinsky and Jones, which is your top two defensemen, you know you have to be better. I mean, Safar's got to be better. Ryan Murray's got to be better, and Murray is stepping up to the plate. Gotta give I gotta give Murray credit on that. Got to give Murray a credit on that. Absolutely got to give Murray a credit on that. But looking at the goals against average for the Jackets, Corpusalo a 2.75. Marincic 7 is what his average is. The overall stats for uh, the Jackets, Dubois got 3 points. Felino's got 3 points. Alexander Wenberg has 3 points as well. Wenberg leads in the assist department with three. Felino with two. Seth Jones with two. And I got to say this too. Sonny Milano has not stepped up to the plate. Has not stepped up to the plate. They got to wake him up. They've got to wake him up somehow, some way. 
If that means sending him down to, to Cleveland, I'm for it. I'm absolutely for it. Because he ain't doing diddly for us right now. Doing diddly for us. Milano this season, three games played. He's a minus two. He's a minus career player right now at minus 12. He's played 73 games, 15 goals, 9 assists, 24 points. He's got to step up to the plate. He really does. He really does. But we'll see what happens. As this has been the Jacket Report right here on All Andy Elford. As you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's dive into the rest of the NHL for you. So looking at the rest of the NHL, this is what it looks like. Uh, games going into tonight's play. Yesterday yesterday was a, slate, a huge slate of games as it was Thanksgiving Day in Canada, as well as here in the States. It was Columbus Day, a big slate of games. The Bruins are winning here 4-2 over the Anaheim Ducks. It was the Minnesota Wild getting a 2-0 shutout victory over the Ottawa Senators. It was Florida. A big 6-4 win over the New Jersey Devils in overtime in the island. It was the Islanders, a winner 3-2 over the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Buffalo, 4-0 win over the Dallas Stars. Avalanche, a 6-3 win over the Washington Capitals. And it was the Chicago Blackhawks beating the Edmonton Oilers, giving the Oilers their first loss with a 3-1 victory. Tonight on the docket, games to be of note. Minnesota travels to Toronto to take on the Leafs. Winnipeg welcomes in the Arizona Coyotes. It will be the Golden Knights heading in to T-Mobile Arena and hosting the Nashville Predators. The NBCSN game tonight will see the Tampa Bay Lightning battling it out with the Montreal Canadiens. The Philadelphia Flyers travel across country to take on the Calgary Flames. The Detroit Red Wings head into Vancouver to take on the Canucks. And the Kings welcome in the Carolina Hurricanes. 10-30 puck drop for that one. Tomorrow on the docket, the Wednesday night game of the week, sees Nathan McKinnon and the Colorado Avalanche head into Pittsburgh to take on Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins, 7 o'clock on NBCSN. Other games of note, it will be Washington welcoming in the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Jackets taking on the Dallas Stars, of course. Like I mentioned, Philadelphia goes into Edmonton. Buffalo heads into the pond to take on the Ducks, and the Sharks welcome in the Carolina Hurricanes. Looking at the standings, this is what it looks like going into tonight's play. We'll look at the the wild card standings, and we'll also look at the division standings. We'll start with the division first and foremost. In the Metropolitan Division, it is Carolina in first place with a record of 5-0-1 with 10 points. Pittsburgh is 4-2-0 with 8 points. Washington 3-2-2 with 6 points. Excuse me, with eight points as well. It is the Islanders at 3 3 0 with six points. Philadelphia is 2 0 1 with five points. The Rangers 2 1 0 with four points. The Jackets 2 3 0 with four points. And the Devils are 0 4 2 with two points. In the Atlantic Division, the Buffalo Sabres are still perfect at 5 0 1 with 11 points. It is the Boston Bruins at 5 1 0 with 10 points. The Leafs are six, six games played in, are 3 2 1 with seven points. The Red Wings are in fourth spot at 3-2-0 with six points. Montreal 2-1-2 with six points. Florida 2-2-2 with six points. 
and the Tampa Bay Lightning are two one and two two and one with five points. Ottawa one four and zero with two points. Western Conference standings look like this: it is Edmonton in top spot in the Pacific Division at five one and zero with ten points. Vegas four two and zero with eight points. Anaheim four four two and zero with eight points as well. It is the the Calgary Flames at two three and one with five points. Vancouver 2-2-0 with four points. The Kings are 2-3-0 with four points. San Jose 2-4-0 with four points. And the Arizona Coyotes are 1-2-1 with three points overall. In the Central Division, the, the Avalanche are 5-0-0 with ten points overall. The defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues are 3-1-2 are with eight points. Winnipeg 4-3-0 with eight points as well. Nashville is 3-2-0 with 6 points. Chicago 1-2-1 with 3 points. The Stars, who the Jackets will face tomorrow night, are 1-5-1 with 3 points. Minnesota 1-4-0 with 2 points overall. Wildcard standings at the playoffs hypothetically started today. The Red Wings and the Canadiens would be the wildcard representation. And the wildcard representation for the Western Conference would be Nashville and Calgary. There's that for you right there. Um, also going to make mention of this. The Walleye started off their season this past weekend on Saturday afternoon. They went into Brampton and getting a win in Brampton. So they are one game into the season and they have one win. And they also made news, of course, the end of the Soul Train. Cody Soul has been traded by the Toledo Walleye. Hope you walleye fans enjoyed the time with Cody Soul, of course. Because I know I did. He was traded today. He was traded the other day yesterday to my good friend Everett Fitzhugh and the Cincinnati Cyclones. For future considerations and a player to be named later. Looking forward to seeing Everett coming forward in, in November and December. And uh, we hope to get Everett on the podcast for you. Um, I also have one thing to say about this. Got a chance to look at Cincinnati's game the other night against Wheeling, and that was a really good game. They came back from behind. Cincinnati's no joke, folks. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I think they could be. They are the new us, the new Toledo team. But like I said, Toledo, I don't think it's going to make the playoffs. Just saying it. Just going to say it because of the whole A.J. Jenks situation. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And by the way, got to make mention of this. Got to make mention of this. Speaking of the Cyclones, looked at their menu, their new food menu. Everett is a genius. It is Caprese. It's Caprese salad. It's Caprese not caprese, it's caprese salad. That's for you, Everett. I know you're listening. So it's time for Andy Rants, and it's time to reflect on what we saw this past Saturday afternoon. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred, and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor.
So it's now time for Andy Rants. And before we begin, I want to say, if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every Tuesday and Friday right here on All Andy Alfred. And follow us on Facebook at All Andy Alfred. For our Falcon Friday shows, we do live shows every Friday on Facebook Live as well as right here on the Anchor Network. So it's time now for Andy Rants. And um, it's going to be a two-part Andy Rants. And we'll start first and foremost with the NFL the fishing has got to be better. We're seeing so many games being blown and cost by by the officials. This past Sunday, seeing countless flag after flag after flag after flag in the Jets versus Cowboys game made me real- realize that the NFL is becoming a soft league when it comes to hitting and when it comes to penalties. Like I mentioned before, the stat of... 18.9% and 18.9 penalties per game now compared to last year when it was 15.4. It's absolutely outrageous. Excuse me, 19.4. It is absolutely outrageous, and the league should really look into this. Officiating is key and in every aspect of the game. When it comes to baseball, it's balls and strikes, of course, and outs and safes. And whether a ball is fair or foul, when it comes to basketball, finding if a person's traveling, double dribbling, a foul is being committed, or if the player is standing on the three-point line, or if he's behind, or if he is, or if he is basically causing being out of bounds. In the NHL, officiating is very, very key. A fast-paced game, finding off whether there be an offside, an icing or penalties being called, or helping out and stopping a fight. Very key. NFL officiating is very, very, a very, very difficult sport. for uh, NFL, Football in general is a difficult sport to officiate. Whether a person is holding, holding somebody, whether a person is illegally touching hands to the face, whether a person is causing a, an unnecessary hit, or Injuring a player when it comes to college, high school, or, N- or the NFL. Officiating has to be better in all aspects of sports, no matter what the situation is. So the NFL screwing up calls is a key thing because it wakes up to everybody about officiating. Woke me up a little bit. And that's why I think the NFL should go to full-time officials. Not part-time. We have a lot of officials in the NFL that are part-time officials. Where they do a game one weekend. But then that Monday morning they go back to being a lawyer. Going back to being a teacher. Being back to being a social worker. Or being a janitor in some aspects. We can't have that happen. You either are or you're not. And we'll find out who the real officials are. Really who are. So that's my take on NFL officiating. We need full-time officials that know the game, that can understand the game, and that don't play with their hearts. They play with their hearts and their emotions instead of a book. So let's talk about this past Saturday and what we witnessed at Doydell Perry Stadium. Of course, this past Saturday morning, I was in attendance. We had a beautiful tailgate. Of course, some 
some good friends of our of the podcast, uh, fans of the podcast as well to stop by. I got a lot of compliments on the house divided flag of Toledo versus uh, Toledo and BG out front. A lot of people are asking where they can get the flag. Um, a good friend of the podcast uh, hooked us up with a grill, and uh, we grilled up some uh, Italian sausages, some bratwurst, some hot dogs. We had some dips. We had chips. We had beverages. It was a great time, even though it was cold. It was it was brisk, but we had a great time. Um, my my expectations. I was not excited for the game until Thursday night. That's when I started to get really pumped up after watching a couple of the hype videos. And, you know, Friday I was really excited. I was excited. Not in the aspect of I was thinking we're going to win. I was excited because the game was, you know, this is a historic rivalry and we might have a chance because we've gotten better and better as the week's gone on. When I stepped foot into Dwight L. Perry Stadium on Saturday afternoon at at 11.50, and I took my seat to watch the flyover take over, which is fantastic, by the way. The 180 fighter wing did a fantastic job with the, with the flyover. Uh, hearing the band play, I love hearing Bowling Green's band play. Toledo's band made the trek as well, too. I looked over at the other sideline, because we were sitting on the UT side. I was looking at the BG side, and the student section was pretty full. But it was not full to what I was hoping it was going to be. Being at the Morgan State game, which is the first game of the season, it was full all the way to the top, and they were expanding over into the band section to fill in students over there to be able to watch the game. Now, maybe because it was a Saturday and not a lot of people were wanting to be out in the cold for the game. I can understand that. But you still show up for a rivalry game, and the students did show up midway point of the first quarter. And they they made their presence known. They made as much noise as possible. They helped out and they rooted for their team. And I was very, very impressed with that. As a former Bowling Green student and a former Bowling Green alumni, I've been in those in that section, sitting there rooting for Bowling Green play as they played Tulsa, as they played Ohio, and as they played Toledo. I was absolutely amazed at the students student reaction. And I was also amazed by the fans, the alumni and the boosters that made as much noise as possible, giving Toledo a chance to say, you know, maybe we aren't going to win this game. And making as much noise as possible. I was on national television, of course, as so uh, all Andy Elfers is now as seen on TV. The block punt was by Clucky. I was shown on television with a fist pump, and my glasses, I kind of looked like Kendall Hawk Harrelson a little bit on that. But I was very happy at the time because we got blocked and we were in UT territory to score seven points. And that's what we did. Grant Lloyd capitalizing on the block punt and scoring seven points. So at halftime, we were up 20 to 7. We were up, excuse me, we were up 17 to 7. At the time, I was saying to myself, you know, the second half of the game is when UT usually turns on the Jets. And again, I was absolutely surprised that Toledo did not show up and stepped up to the plate in the game. Absolutely surprised. 
But there was always a bit of me because of all the years of torment and all the years of frustration. I was telling myself, you know, Toledo's going to come back. And they're going to win this game. It didn't really hit me until about two minutes to go in the, into the fourth quarter. When I looked at the clock and it was 20-7 to 7 in favor of us. And we go on fourth down and we made a run play. And we could, didn't convert on fourth down. So we turned the football over to UT. And we were up 20-7 to 7 on them. And I looked at the scoreboard and I said, there's no way that they can come back from it. 30 seconds left in the game. I look at the clock again. Toledo's got no timeouts. The clock's running. And Peters gets sacked. That's when I'm jumping. I got up from my seat. I started jumping. And then the final play, the final moment you've heard tonight on this podcast, the interception, I looked at it. And for the first time in a long time, folks, I fall, I fell down to my knees and I started crying because I have seen nine years of torment, nine years of frustration, nine years of being ridiculed and teased and tormented come to an end with one interception, and the game being over. I stormed the field with all the rest of the students, with all the rest that I wanted to do so long ago when I was there. I stormed the field with you, the fans. I got hugged by Leffler. I high-fived Grant Lloyd. I hug-fied David Awaja. David Kowalczyk. I was I, I shook Josh Harris's hand who was there to be honored in the Falcon Honors. I was just so happy to be there. The wife was there. My best friend was there. The fiance the my wife's my wife's friends that were UT fans were there. They're absolutely shocked. That they saw that their team finally lost against Bowling Green. And I have to say is this. I've never cried before in a sporting event. There's only two. And this has been, this year has been absolutely amazing for me. Seeing the Jackets getting past the first round of the playoffs. Seeing this podcast becoming thriving and strong as ever. And now to top it all off, my university that I have a piece of paper for, finally beating the University of Toledo. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. I am just so proud to be a Falcon. And I want to thank you for tuning into the podcast tonight. 
We'll be back for another edition of All Andy Alford right here on the Anchor Network as we get you set for BG's big game against Central Michigan as well as the rest of the college football spectrum. We'll also look at the Lions game this upcoming Sunday as they take on Minnesota at Ford Field. And we'll also give you another Jackets report as well. And also talk a little bit about the walleye. And dive a little bit more into MLB's postseason. Of course, right now the Yankees and the Astros are in action right now. 2 nothing in favor of the Astros. We'll see what happens with that. So until Friday when I talk to you guys again, this is Andy Alford saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home. And to my teams. Go Jackets! Go Walleye. Go Clones. Go, go State. Go Lions. Go Browns. Here we go Brownies. Here we go. Woof, woof. And... Most of all, go Falcons! We beat Toledo 20 to 7. Let's keep it going against the chips. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great night, everybody, and a great week. I'll talk to you guys on Friday for another edition of All Andy Alfred. Love you. Might as well. Forward Falcons, forward Falcons, fight for victory. Show our spirit, make them fear it, fight for dear BG. Forward Falcons, forward Falcons, make the contest keen. Hold up the fame or our mighty name and win for Bowling Green. Isaacy Zumba Zumba, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zay, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zumba, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zay. Roll along, BG Warriors. Roll along and fight for BGSU. Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zumba, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zay, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zumba, Isaacy Zumba Zumba Zay. Roll along, BG Warriors. Roll along and fight for BGSU. Talk to you guys on Friday.